Hi, and welcome to Follow's weekly message podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. Well, today's Bible reading, Lockie Pryor is going to be preaching for us this morning. And today's Bible reading is taken from Proverbs chapter 2, and it's verses 1 to 5. And so let me read them to you this morning. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Well, as Lockie opens that up for us this morning and looks at this um, theme of the fear of the Lord and wisdom, I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of his message this morning. And so let's go to Lockie now. As parents of a very young and innocent human being, a three-year-old boy, sometimes my wife Katie and I, we get to apply a certain amount of creative license to how we approach certain situations with him. For example, mealtimes. Sometimes the food we eat, it, it tastes a bit yucky to his undeveloped palate. A hot curry, a tangy taco sauce with a bit of extra pepper on the carbonara maybe. He quite rightly identifies this as spicy. He tells us he doesn't like it and he calls it spicy. Or he'll ask us if something is spicy before he tries it and we can confirm, yes, you're not going to like this or no, it's all right, it's not spicy. At the moment, it's just a nice way of saying yucky. But this is where the creative license comes in. Sometimes mummy and daddy will get to have a special carbonated drink, possibly sugary drink with their dinner. And Mitchell says, is it spicy, daddy? And we say, yes, mate, this one is spicy. Well, please, can I want some water then? Good idea, son. That's a good idea. And one day he'll learn that this refreshing Coca-Cola or some Doritos or a Big Mac or salted caramel chocolate ice cream, it's in fact not actually spicy. We've just been trying to avoid him from indulging too early in life. We'll probably have some explaining to do. But there's a flip side to this word association game we're playing with our toddler. Mitchell's also discovering other words, one being scary. The word scary. At this age, it's very important for him to experience all emotions, including anger and sadness and fear. But we're discovering that his application of the word scary can sometimes have different meanings. Sometimes he'll read something or see something in real life or on TV that you and I would identify absolutely as scary. You know, something that's lurky or creepy or darky or monstery. Something that says, ooh, that is a bit scary. But the odd thing is we notice that he's drawn to these unique and scary things. It's the same sort of feeling we get when we watch a thrilling or a scary movie and might even be the same feeling I get when I'm watching a down-to-the-wire sporting event. There's that sort of level of adrenaline there. And while we want him to identify with scary things as being scary, we're now finding that he'll apply the same word to things that really we want him to see as normal. It's that old monster in the closet thing. A, A glimmer of light coming through his curtains looks to him like a scary eye. When in actual fact, it's obviously harmless. And and the dark room at night to him is scary, but we want him to know that's a sanctuary, a safe place for deep rest. We want him to identify scary as scary, but I don't want him to identify normal things in life and good things in life as scary. Thinking that a hug from his dad is scary or sharing some of his donut with daddy is scary or praying to Jesus is scary. 
Today we're kicking off our series in Proverbs. And we're going to take a helicopter look today at one of the main essences of this book, the fear of the Lord. What does the Bible mean by fear? It sounds scary. Why is it so important? Why is it such a big theme in this book? And why is it such a foundational attitude uh, towards our Heavenly Father that we should have? In Proverbs 9 verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Maybe we should start by working out what does that actually mean? And this might be a completely new concept to you, that the God of mercy, of love, of intimacy, the creator of the universe, our closest friend, why should I fear him? Or maybe you've known about this instruction from God to fear him all your life, but you might need a healthy reminder. So what is fear? The Hebrew word used in the Old Testament is yoreh, which actually has three meanings. To be fearful is one of them. Another is to cause astonishment and awe. And a third meaning is to inspire reverence, godly fear and awe. Do you ever watch that TV show, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here? There's a simple enough premise, just like the title says, they're celebrities and they're, they're put in the jungle and they compete to be the last person standing to win a prize and they're voted in and out by the viewing public and they can participate in challenges which awards them extra food and comforts or immunity to stay in the jungle. And the challenges. They're designed to stretch them, to make them very uncomfortable, to force them to eat all sorts of disgusting food, and they're often designed to hone in on a specific fear that a celebrity has. Now, which of those three words used in the Hebrew Bible do you think would be used to describe having to dip your hand in a huge vat of hairy spiders or bungee jump out of a hot air balloon or even experience minor electrocution? Would it be reverence? Astonishment and awe? Probably not. I think something that you're really scared of, like heights is my thing. I get dizzy and a little sick just thinking about peering over the edge of a tall building or a cliff. I'm scared of heights, but I don't necessarily have a lot of respect for heights. Do you respect the things that you're a bit scared of? Do you think highly of the things you're scared of? Do you think highly of this fear? Or does it just make you feel scared? This is like being afraid of God, scared of consequences of our attitudes and choices in isolation and only being scared, but without having that respect for him in the slightest. But reverence is different and encompasses the idea of respect. And there are great examples of Yorah being used in the Bible that depict reverence rather than just being afraid. Check out Leviticus 19.32. Every one of you shall fear his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. I think we can all agree that we shouldn't be afraid of our parents. However, the Bible is very clear that we should honor our parents, and reverence is certainly in that same spirit. I'm blessed to have loving parents, uh, but I'm not scared of them. I greatly respect them. And also in Joshua 4.14, it says, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, so they feared him, just as they'd feared Moses all the days of his life. And once again, I don't think anyone was scared of Joshua or Moses. 
most of the time, but I'm sure that they respected them just like we do today and we can learn a lot from them. In C.S. Lewis' book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, they talk to the children about their coming encounter with, with Aslan, the great Lion of Narnia, the Jesus figure. And Susan and Lucy are understandably afraid of meeting a lion. There's an excerpt from The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe now we'll read together. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then isn't he safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Scripture is full of other examples of how fearing God can be positive rather than a negative thing. For example, Genesis 42, Joseph wins his brother's trust when he declares that he is a God-fearing man. It was because the midwives feared God that they obeyed him instead of the authorities by sparing the Hebrew babies. Pharaoh brought disaster on his nation because he did not fear God. Moses chose leaders to help him on the basis that they feared God and wouldn't take the bribes and told the Hebrews that God met with them in a terrifying display of his power so they wouldn't sin. The Mosaic Law cites fear of God as a reason to treat the disabled and elderly well. And of course, it's not just an Old Testament idea. The ultimate example of fear and perfect love working together is Jesus Christ. He warned us at every turn to fear God, not men, and he confirmed that in everything about his life and death. Jesus states this stronger than anyone when he says in Matthew 10, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He spoke lovingly, but also quite blatantly and didn't mince words uh, when people needed to face their sin and repent. But he also demonstrated love beyond human understanding when he lived out his words. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. I'm going to park all this for a moment. I just want to let that resonate and stir and marinate because it sets the table for the rest of what I want to share this morning. So I want to turn the spotlight now onto what we're focusing on in this new series, this book of Proverbs. A simple definition of a biblical proverb is a short saying that expresses a general truth for practical godly living. The word proverb means to be like. So when we look at the top proverbs of the Bible, we'll find many examples of biblical truths and short sayings for how one should live their life. The book of Proverbs, or Wise Sayings, was written mainly by Solomon. And what's interesting about that, out of all the things that Solomon could have asked for, he asked God for the understanding, the wisdom, to govern the Lord's people. What a great example of humility for Solomon to ask for a way to better serve in the role that he was blessed with. Many times we ask for things of God with a selfish heart. Solomon approaches God with a heart that wants to serve in a capacity that pleases him. And because of this approach to God, this is his response in 1 Kings 3, 10 to 14. 
The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you've asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you've asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I'll give you what you've not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you'll have no equal among kings, and you'll walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did. I'll give you a long life. For the first nine chapters of Proverbs, they focus on wisdom. In these chapters, we read of how to embrace wisdom, wisdom's rebuke, benefits, and restoration of well-being. We also learn to obtain wisdom at all costs. Chapter 8 focuses on the call of wisdom. The words strongly encourage believers to have open hearts and ears to when wisdom calls out. And chapter 9 is particularly helpful to the disciplined life of a believer. Throughout the entirety of chapter 9, the reader can almost hear the voice of King Solomon as he instructs his people about where wisdom originates. Verse 10 states, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Okay, now I want to piece those things together. We've talked a little bit about fear. We've talked a little bit about Proverbs. And uh, I want to focus on some of the themes uh, I found uh, throughout the mega theme of the, of the fear of the Lord throughout Proverbs. Now, the first theme I found was the fear of the Lord is a hopeful humility. Proverbs 2, 1 to 5 says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You know what I noticed about that passage? The if if you receive my words, if you call out for insight, if you look for it like silver, like precious treasure, those if statements are funneling down to the then statement of verse 5, where the fear of the Lord is found. We cannot reach the then without the if, but we cannot reach the if without humility. In the pursuit of the fear of the Lord, humility comes first. Our hope begins with the realization of who God is and who we are. And who are we really? Verse 1 tells us, my son. That's not a throwaway phrase. The book of Proverbs is a gift from the open-hearted father to his open-hearted children. God offers us freely through Christ a place in his heart. The question for us is simple. Will we go there? If we will, the passage shows us what to do. Receive, treasure up making your ear attentive, inclining your heart, call out, raise your voice, seek, search. God calls us to humble, hopeful action. Now you might be saying, whoa, hold on, Lachlan. Isn't that all just works-based? Well, no. As Dallas Willard said, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. Does my son... Me personally, my son, need to earn his affection from me? No way. But does his obedience to my instructions give him a better chance at not getting hit by a car when he crosses the road or burning his mouth on hot soup? Well, you betcha. Does my wife ever need to earn my forgiveness? Of course not. 
because she's perfect. Uh, but no, seriously, I've promised that to her, that forgiveness through my commitment to her and the love that Christ has given me. The first step in fearing the Lord is humility. Humility is the currency of God's kingdom, not because it's easier to get, but because it's more joyous to have. And God's kingdom is a kingdom of joy. True humility is true freedom because it looks beyond oneself to the only wise person in existence. Pride says you don't need God. It says you can do it yourself. Humility says you can't live without him. Pride says you have to work out this world for yourself if you want to succeed. Humility said, says this world isn't ultimate because God has something better out ahead for us. Pride is cynical and humility is hopeful. You'll notice through Proverbs that it often shows that humility and the fear of the Lord can exist in harmony, hand in glove. For example, Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honour. Honour is not ours for the taking. Honour is ours for the receiving. It's the result of the humility and the fear of the Lord because we receive honour by submitting to His majesty, by being in the presence of His majesty. When we put ourselves in the low place before God where we belong, He lifts us up to the high place with him where we only belong because of his grace. As, it's always, as it always is with God, we get more than we deserve. Proverbs 22.4 says, The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. God's not a tight-pursed person. He's a big spender on his children. And he never runs out of riches and honor and life for you because Jesus' victorious resurrection opened the door to it all. And the Bible in 1 Corinthians 3 says, All things are yours, whether the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. How? Because Christ humbled himself to the point of death on the cross for you. Philippians 2, 9-11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, the name of Jesus, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Jesus we see that he not only gives wisdom, he fulfilled wisdom in his earthly life. He lived the only true humble life, full of fear of the Lord for us, so that we, by the power of His Spirit, can have the life that He came to give. And we see that, when we really see that, we have the fear of the Lord, because it's impossible to behold the dying love of Christ for you and not feel it, not revere Him, and not be in awe of Him. When we humble ourselves and see things as they really are, we find God's provision is not only for the future, it's for the present. The evil we face can be escaped through the fear of the Lord. That's the second point I want to make, is that the fear of the Lord is an escape from evil. In the first step, if the first step of fearing the Lord is humble awe, well, no wonder Proverbs 3.7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. The ESV says, Turn away from evil. It's important because we give our own wisdom a lot more credit than it's due. And our own eyes say, We don't need Christ's work. We think, Well, 
whatever we did, that was bad, but not that bad. We, we categorize sin, we justify sin, we downplay sin, but God doesn't. Jonathan Edwards, he was a preacher and a theologian back in the 40s, the 1740s, and he preached a famous message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And this is heavy stuff. He said, the bow, so we're talking about bows and arrows, the bow of God's wrath is bent, the arrow made ready on the string, and justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow. And it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. Talk about the fear of the Lord. If we don't fear the Lord, it's not as if our life is just less full than it could be. If we don't fear the Lord, our life is in danger. If we don't fear the Lord, our life will be full of evil. And the Bible makes it really clear what happens to the evil in the end. The danger, believe it or not, is even larger than we might initially think. Even if we can avoid personal actions of evil, there's still a draw to envy those who don't. So Proverbs 23, 17 warns, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Why all the day? Well, because at any point from sunup to sundown, we're faced with the temptation to turn from the fear of God to envy sinners, to be jealous. I know as a teenager growing up in the church, I always thought that the sinners had more fun than the Christians. But wisdom says, no, don't look at that. Run, run away. There's more to life than just what feels good. There's more to life than what's pleasing only to you. Find what's pleasing to God and you'll find the life you really want. You won't find that unless you have a healthy fear of God, unless you revere Him and desire to please Him above all else. When we have the humility to seek the evil lurking around us, it fosters us in a healthy fear of the Lord. We don't want to sin, but we can't help but to see not only the temptation to sin, but the sin that already resides within And that's why Paul, thinking through the same thing in Romans, cries out, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Of course, Paul found the answer in Jesus Christ. But it began with the fear of the Lord. Paul saw his sin for what it was and cried out for salvation. That's that's showing wisdom. And Jesus came to save him. And he can do the same for you. When Jesus comes and saves, he changes the way we think about our sin. It becomes less desirable to us. The fear of the Lord grants us God's heart towards sin. And what's that? It's in Proverbs 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. And we reject what we hate, don't we? We don't want to have anything to do with it. So Proverbs 16, 6 says, By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. God hates evil, and by fearing him, we learn to hate it too. When we taste and see that the Lord is good, we taste and see that sin is evil, and we long for an escape from it found in the nearness of God. But we can't forget that the fear of the Lord is an escape from evil, not primarily because we've learned to hate and reject it, even though that's true. It's an escape from evil because of what Jesus has done. In the fear of the Lord, Jesus rejected evil all his life. He never sinned. At the cross, he took upon himself all of it, 
all the evil of this world to conquer it in his death and resurrection. And as we behold the King of glory taking upon himself our evil, we see the wisdom of God in salvation. We see what it is to fear our Lord. Evil isn't a light thing. Our evil is the reason the cross exists. So no wonder then, when we learn to fear the Lord, we realize it's foolish to mourn the loss of the invite to this world's party and the sin uh, that's, that's calling us. This world's fading away, man, all the evil with it. But the party in heaven, that's just getting started. And the garments we need for entrance, well, they were purchased for us on the, on the cross of Christ. The ticket to get in uh, was punched. And his resurrection power surges through this world to bring us to himself where we find refuge, which is our third and final point. The fear of the Lord is a road to refuge. The safest place in the entire world is found firmly in the fear of the Lord. Why? Because when we fear the Lord, we come to the one who holds the whole world in his hands. We become like the Israelites on the road out of Egypt, with all the terror of Pharaoh's horses coming quickly behind, and we wonder how will God get us out of this? We've seen this wondrous we've seen his wondrous works and we've obeyed him down to the shore of the sea, blocking our way, and now we need to see another miracle. Well God's got plenty left. And what is a little sea to the one who holds the oceans in the hollow of his hands? He will fight for us, and we only have to be silent. As Proverbs 10.27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. When we fear the Lord, we don't receive a fading crown from the world. We receive an unfading crown of glory from above. We come into refuge of his preserving care. We walk on the dry land in the midst of our pursuers, safe in God's hands, while the evil ones perish in his justice. If you and I commit today to live the rest of our days in the fear of the Lord, what's going to happen to us? Proverbs 14, 26, 27 tells us, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Do you hear that? The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. It doesn't mean we won't die. Everyone will die. But when we will, we'll be restored with him. And also thinks that means... Our life won't be wasted. It will have meaning and significance that reaches beyond us. Proverbs fifteen sixteen says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than a great treasure and trouble with it. Now, how's that so? Proverbs nineteen twenty three is the answer. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied, and he will not be visited by harm. It's protection. It's refuge. So who doesn't need satisfied rest? Fearing the Lord is the road because it's the road to refuge. It's the road to Jesus Christ. When we come to him, we find what Susan and Lucy found in Narnia. We find the Lion of Judah there to protect us from all evil. And no, he's not really safe in the traditional sense, but he's far safer because he's good. And God's goodness is the safety we need more than anything. And how do we get there? We fear the Lord. Because this is so important. When you fear the Lord, you love what he loves and you hate what he hates. When you fear the Lord, you love what he loves and you hate what he hates. And that's 
the beginning of wisdom. So let's pray together. God, we pray that our hearts would learn how to rightfully fear you. We bow before you, acknowledging you as Lord and Savior of our lives, praising you for your might, your sovereignty, your power, your strength, your mercy, and your justice. We thank you for your unending love, even when we're undeserving. We stand in awe of you. We surrender our hearts to you. Help us to love like you love and and hate what you hate. As it says in James, if any of us lacks wisdom, we should ask you. You give generously to all without finding fault and you'll provide. So in humility, we come to you. We ask for your wisdom so your glory may shine in this world. We put you first, Lord. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Follow Online. To stay updated, go to follow.church. As the people of God, let's stay connected and follow the words of Jesus to love one another.